Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Jesus Christ is unique in history. No one has ever been like him. No one ever will be. And much of that uniqueness has to do with the way that he entered this world, his very conception as just a speck within the womb and the body of a Jewish peasant girl is the miracle of the ages. It is the virgin conception of Jesus that was the subject of last week's and is the subject of this week's podcast. And I appreciate your listening. This is Robert J. Morgan, and we're taking a couple of weeks during this Christmas season to look at the incarnation of Christ. The word carn, C-A-R-N, means meat or flesh. So if you're a carnivore instead of a vegetarian or a pescaparian, then you are someone who will have a steak or a pork chop. And in carnation means in flesh form. God coming to this world in the form of a man as a man. God now in flesh appearing as the Christmas carol says. Well, how do we know that? And what does it mean? We started looking at that last week, and I want to continue on with it today. And let's go back, if you have your Bibles, to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and we call this the Annunciation, when the angel Gabriel, who we last saw in the book of Daniel, now all of these hundreds of years later, appears in the town of uh, Nazareth, the little town uh, in Galilee, and it says, beginning with Luke 1, 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin. That's the first word of description we have of Mary, a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. The virgin's name, it says again, was Mary. The angel went to her, or yes, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, and here is the Annunciation, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor or grace with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, which was the Old Testament name Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Well, how can this be? Mary said. I am a virgin. 
And the angel answered with these mystic, enigmatic words. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And that's exactly what happened. Later in Matthew's Gospel, I mean later chronologically, we're told that Joseph was told that Mary was pregnant, but not by a human agency, and that he was not to have relations with her until after the child was born and the child was to be named Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And the records of the gospel say that Joseph and Mary had no physical relationship until after Jesus was born. And this is not some kind of major modern medical procedure whereby somebody can become pregnant without sex. This is a first century divine miracle of incarnation and the conception was produced by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, indicating that the one to be born of Mary would be a miracle child unique in human history. He was timeless. That's the first implication. He existed before the conception. He always had existed. The prophet Micah said his comings and goings are from old, even from everlasting. John said he was the word that came down from heaven and became flesh. He was God and he became flesh. So Jesus never had a beginning. He is eternal in the past. He is eternal in the future, which means that he has the capability of giving to us everlasting life. So the first implication we looked at last week, and if you missed that episode, you may want to go back and give it a listen, is that Jesus is timeless. The second implication of the virgin birth is that he is peerless. No other person in human history has entered the world in such a miraculous and mysterious way. This is a one-time miracle. Adam was not conceived in this way. None of the other sons and daughters of humanity have been. No one ever will be. There is no other point of reference to this, no analogy in the life of humanity as we know it. So this is something that is God-given as a unique miracle to bring about this incarnation. The theologian Henry Thiessen put it this way, the study of the person of Christ is so difficult because in this respect, he is utterly unique. There is no other being like him, and so we cannot reason from the known to the unknown. But it was this virgin conception that fused together humanity and deity so that Jesus Christ could be called the God-man. Now, I want to propose something to you. I want to suggest that this is the second greatest mystery in the Bible and the second greatest mystery in all of reality, known and unknown. What is the first mystery? The greatest, the deepest, the most imponderable mystery of all? It's the Trinity. How can there be one God who eternally exists in three persons. 
that's beyond our understanding as no other subject is. It is the greatest marvel in human understanding and education. We can state the doctrine of the Trinity. There is one God who eternally exists in three persons, but we cannot comprehend it. It's mystery number one. But the second mystery is likened to it. It's the doctrine of the duality of Christ. How can there be one person and yet two natures? One person possessing both a divine nature and a human nature. He is the God-man. These are the two mysteries that encapsulate, first of all, theism, and secondly, Christianity. It's what makes our faith system different from every other religion and every other worldview that there is on this planet, the mystery of the Trinity, three yet one, the ministry of Jesus, two yet one. He is the God-man. Now, when we say that, we do not mean that Jesus is half God and half man, like the characters in Greek or Roman mythology. The biblical doctrine of the incarnation is sublime and superior. It raises above the profound rubble of ancient mythology like the sun rising over a junk pile. Jesus is fully God with all of the attributes and characteristics of God, and yet he became fully human, a man to die. Now, this does not mean that Jesus had two personalities. Many years ago, I went to Edinburgh, Scotland. I attended a conference there. It was sponsored by my friend Michael Didway, and I had a wonderful time. And while I was there, I met an old codger who was an expert in the history of the city of Edinburgh. And he said, let me just take you all over town for a day. And he showed me all over that city on foot, and he pointed out very fascinating sites, including where many of the Covenanters had been killed or were buried. But near the University of Edinburgh, Alongside an old stone wall, there was a little grassy spot with some unmarked graves. And taking me to one of them, he pointed to it. And he said, don't, he said, very few people know this, unless, unless they have lived in Edinburgh for a long time. But buried here in this grave is Deacon William Brody, a man who lived in the 1800s. Brody was an outstanding citizen by day. But at night, he was a madman. He was a carpenter and a cabinet maker during the daylight hours. But at night, he was a thief and a gambler and one of the most notorious criminals in Edinburgh's history. This dual personality of this man, William Brody, became the inspiration for William uh, for Robert Louis Stevenson's famous novel, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And since that time, doctors and psychologists have been fascinated by the concept of dual and multiple personalities. But that isn't Jesus. When we say that Jesus had two natures in one person, we don't mean that he was half God and half man like Hercules, or that he was a split person like Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde. We mean that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We mean that God himself descended to earth through the mechanism of the virgin conception so that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man amalgamated together into one seamless personality. We mean that the Holy Spirit came upon the Virgin Mary in the power of the Most High that overshadowed her so that the Holy one born to her was God himself, the Son of God, 
as the hymnist said, Jesus is God. Oh, could I now but compass earth and sea to teach and tell the single truth, how happy I would be. So it is this virgin conception of Christ that somehow integrated and brought together the divine and human natures of Christ into one seamless person, which means that he is peerless in the history of humanity. He is ageless or timeless. He is peerless. But third, he is sinless. This is one of the most mysterious and marvelous aspects of Jesus of Nazareth. He is the one and only person in human history who lived on this earth a life of eating and drinking and socializing and working and talking and sleeping and fishing and laboring, doing all of the things that we do. And yet he remained absolutely free from sin with no failures, no moral fault, no taint of evil. He was pure and perfect to the depths of his being under the blinding holiness of God. And he maintained that perfect purity every moment of every hour of every day of every year of his life. How can we explain the fact that a human being came into the world that is utterly contaminated with sin and yet without acquiring a sinful nature from his mother? She was certainly a member of the sinful human race. She had sin and the very bloodstream that ran through her body, and yet this sinlessness was not communicated or passed down to him. How could that be? It was because of the mystery somehow of this virgin conception. Look again at verse 35 of Luke chapter 1. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One, now notice the word so, indicating a connection. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So therefore, the Holy One to be born of you will be called the Son of God. This is a mystery within a mystery, and I cannot explain it but to quote the Scripture. But the Bible teaches that somehow because of the mechanism of the virgin conception of our Lord and the economy of God, he was holy and pure, untainted by the blood disease called sin that has infected every other man and woman on this globe since the days of Adam and Eve. And it's vitally important for us to know this because Christ could not have died for our sins unless he himself was pure and faultless and able to make a perfect sacrifice. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Finally, the virgin birth tells us that Christ is selfless, not only ageless and peerless and sinless, but he is selfless. He had no selfish motives. If you've been following along in our studies through the book of Philippians in my podcast series, Whatever Happens, you know how he is described in Philippians chapter 2, that he was without sin, but he was also humble and willing to humble himself and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He had no selfish motives. It was for you. 
and it was for me that he left the ivory palace of glory and entered the world through this commandeered womb of a teenage girl. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race, its mercy all immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me. God himself became a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, in order to shed his blood and die on the cross as a blameless, sinless sacrifice, providing a basis for total forgiveness and complete reconciliation with Almighty God. And though he was in very nature God, he did not account equality with God as something to be clung to, but made himself nothing, taking upon himself the very form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The Bible tells us we should consider the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, how though he was rich, he became poor that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, as I understand it, these are the implications of the virgin birth of Christ. The reality of it is mentioned to us in Isaiah 7. We have an indication of it in Micah. We see it described for us in historical terms in Matthew and in Luke. It is described theologically in um, uh, Philippians 2 and in the prologue of John and in Hebrews chapter 2. In fact, it pervades the Scripture, the reality of Jesus Christ coming to redeem the world and his incarnation is the pervasive message of Scripture. But the implications of the virgin birth is that he is ageless, he is peerless, he is sinless, and he is selfless, and he came for us. One of the most interesting characters in all of Christian history was the British evangelist Harry Morehouse, who's called the man that moved the man that moved millions because of his influence on evangelist D.L. Moody. As a young man, Morehouse was incorrigible. He landed in jail over and over again, and by age 16, he was a gambler and a gang leader and wild beyond control. He became suicidal, and he carried a pistol with him all the time for the purpose of killing himself should he decide to do so. One day he passed by a busy intersection in Manchester, England, and there was a man there. His name was Richard Weaver, and he was preaching. Morehouse only heard one word that was shouted out by Weaver on that street corner, but that one word stopped him in his tracks and led to his conversion, and it was the word Jesus. Now think of this. One preacher on the sidewalk, Richard Weaver, preaching a sermon, shouted, Jesus, and Harry Morehouse was converted, and he became an evangelist, and his influence was magnificent over D.L. Moody, who brought millions into the kingdom. These chain reactions are just amazing, but it always begins with Jesus. No one can change your life like Jesus. The timeless, peerless, sinless, selfless Jesus and I hope you know him personally. If not during this Christmas season, maybe even right now at the end of this podcast, 
kneel down, bow your head, confess your sins, and give him all there is of you, allowing him to become your Lord and your Savior. And then start reading your Bible and praying and going to church and sharing others what Christ has meant to you and begin the abundant life promised by him who is of the virgin born. Well, thank you, everyone, for digging into the riches of the Bible with me, especially in this two-week session on the virgin birth of Christ. Please share this podcast with a friend or with many friends, and remember to check out all of my resources at robertjmorgan.com. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media. It was edited by Jared Brummett. The editing of the print manuscript was done by Sherry Anderson. It is posted to my website where you can find it, both in outline and written form by Luke Tyler, and music is by Jordan Davis and Elijah Rowe. Thank you, everyone, and Merry Christmas, and may God be with you, Emmanuel, God with us, until we meet again.